Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now we need to talk about sexual harassment in Washington. We've learned a lot about that in the past week and about the way Congress deals with complaints against its members. Those procedures have been called flawed. For this, we turn to Joan Walsh. She's the nation's national affairs correspondent and an MSNBC political analyst. She's also the author of the book, What's the Matter with White People? Finding Our Way in the Next America. We reached her today in New York City. Joan Walsh, welcome back. Thanks, John. Glad to be back. Well, let's start with what we've learned from the John Conyers case about how Congress handles complaints of sexual harassment by its own members. Just to review briefly, Conyers is the venerable Democratic representatives from Michigan. He's been head of the House Judiciary Committee. He's been accused of sexual harassment now, I think, by three women as of this hour. And Koki Roberts made a startling admission on one of the Sunday talk shows. She said, quote, every female in the press corps knew, close quote, to avoid being in an elevator with Conyers. The Conyers case has opened up all these things we didn't know before about the procedures Congress uses to deal with complaints of sexual harassment. What have we learned about that? Well, I think we've learned in the last couple of weeks that Congress somehow has a secret slush fund from which it pays uh, you know, out a lot of uh, worker complaints, settles a lot of worker complaints, but a lot of them, we don't know how many, do involve sexual harassment. We, we don't know how much of uh, the, the Conyers settlements have come from congressional coffers or from his own you know, per- personal funding. We don't know a lot. And I think Nancy Pelosi got in a lot of trouble over the weekend uh, when she defended Conyers and called him an icon. Uh, you know, he has been an icon on civil rights issues. He's the original uh, sponsor of the single-payer bill that Bernie Sanders has joined him on. Uh, he's, he's sponsored a, l- a lot of great legislation, although he's been, I would say, declining in effectiveness in, re- in recent years. And, I, you know, I think that what Leader Pelosi was in the process of learning was how completely flawed, not transparent, unfair to women her own processes are. You know, she's the leader She's the leader of the caucus, although she's not Speaker of the House. And I think that, you know, she and Paul Ryan and, and their, all of their leadership teams share, share the blame for a process that I think really puts women back on their heels if they do get up the courage to accuse somebody like John Conyers. Yeah, there is something called the Congressional Accountability Act, which set up the Office of Compliance, but it's been operating, as you say, in secrecy. It was kind of forced to reveal that they've paid $17 million in the taxpayer funds to settle 260 claims, but these are claims about all kinds of things, workplace safety, employment, civil rights. They haven't broken it down. 
now there have been. But it some... does include sexual harassment, and we don't we don't have it, it. Should be broken down so we know what kind of things are going wrong up there, and and why they're spending our money like this, and specifically what women uh, and presumably men have been paid to uh, make claims of sexual harassment go away. This law has not been changed since 1995. Well, of course, a lot of the rest of the world has changed in the way it regards sexual harassment since 1995. There are proposals now for the Office of Compliance to operate differently. What, what do you think are the most promising and the most important uh, initiatives on that front? I think that women have to be uh, encouraged to come forward. I think they have to be believed when they come forward. I think they cannot be giving up any of their rights when they come forward. And I think we have to question the use of of these non-disclosure agreements when a settlement is made, whether it's by the Office of Compliance or by an individual lawmaker himself. Um, This is, is really part of why Congress can't fully get to the bottom of the Conyers allegations because there have been at least one or two, uh, I think at least two settlements where the women are, it's, it's, they're gagged, essentially. One of them has said if she is subpoenaed by the Ethics Committee, she will come forward and a subpoena would be enough, I believe, to allow her to set aside uh, the non-disclosure agreement and talk. But it really is, I mean, when you say 1995, let's go back and think about what was going on back then. Yeah. That's around the time that Bill Clinton got involved with Monica Lewinsky, and even though that was a consensual relationship uh, and she was technically an adult, it was certainly an abuse of power. And you really wonder why... People, I don't want to blame Democrats alone. I don't. I certainly don't want to put this on women, for God's sake. But in this period when when uh, the nation was really being rocked by all of these Clinton allegations, uh, and just a few years after we had our Anita Hill wake up call, there was still very little, as far as I know, uh, effort to modernize and make fair this process and and make it work in such a way that it wasn't merely a place where allegations go to die and where women and perhaps the men get paid off. Uh, But the the nature of the behavior of these legislators uh, also gets hidden. And then you, and you have a John Conyers who a Cokie Roberts can say, well, we knew never to get on the elevator. Really? I mean, I'm not blaming Cokie Roberts. I've worked in Sacramento for a while. And we had the same, we had the exact same uh, standards and, and uh, female solidarity across Republican and Democratic lines. We warned one another. You know, you knew whose office not to go into alone. You knew not to get into an elevator with certain people. This is the reality in state houses and in the Capitol in Washington. And it's kind of depressing to me that it's taken us so long to shape up the way we govern these people when we've known for so long that this kind of power leads mostly men, not most men, but mostly men, astray. Well, we have seen many times over the past 10 or 20 or more years that individual senators and uh, congressmen can be forced to resign when they're charged with sexual offenses. But those have not changed the system. And that's why today we want to look at how does the system work and what does the system need so that we're not just dealing with calling on individuals to resign. But I do want to talk with you about one individual who's very important to us, Al Franken. I know you've interviewed Al Franken. I've interviewed Al Franken on on this show. Uh, After 
After 10 days of seclusion in Washington, Al Franken appeared Sunday to talk to the Minnesota uh, media about the multiple accusations of inappropriate contact with women. On Monday, he returned to Capitol Hill, talked to the reporters there. He said, I know I've let a lot of people down, deeply apologetic. There are uh, uh, people who say... a lot of people say Al Franken should quit because we need a policy of zero tolerance from now on. What do you think about the Al Franken, and what do you think about the need for a policy of zero tolerance? Uh, you know, I'm just not there, uh, John. I feel for a couple of reasons. First of all, we're we're in a situation now where Donald Trump has denied the allegations of 16 women and Roy Moore has denied the allegations of nine. And these allegations are not spotty allegations. They're not flimsy. They are, most of them, most of these allegations come from women who have actually allowed their names to be used, which in cases of sexual harassment, abuse, molestation, does not happen. They're very well documented charges. But you have a situation where Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the press secretary, says, well, the difference between Donald Trump and Roy Moore and Al Franken is that Al Franken has basically admitted something went on and apologized. The president and Roy Moore have not. So you're never going to have a level playing field. You have a situation where these prominent Republicans brazen it through, deny, deny, deny. And so if if we insist that a Franken, for example, I'm, I want to separate him from Conyers. Conyers yes. may be on, on his way out the door. Yes. But Al Franken, after a right-wing uh, radio talk show host, 12 years later, brings up some you know bad behavior on a USO tour, and then three women, two of them anonymous, say he grabbed their butts during a photo opportunity. First of all, that it, it, it's not at all in the realm of what Conyers or Trump or more are accused of. Right. And I, I feel as if if he did resign, it would it would not make Democrats more pure or politically respectable. It would make them the party of the guy who had to resign. You know, there's really this this situation now where if Republicans are going to brazen it out, but Democrats are going to throw their guys and they are guys right now overboard, then you're going to have a narrative controlled by Republicans that, yeah, well, it's the Democrats that have the problem. Look, poor ex-Senator Al Franken admitted it, and he got, you know, he got canned. Trump and Moore just brazened it on through. And I guess the other thing I'll say, you know that Al Franken's, this first allegation anyway, was floated on the Twitter stream of the noted, uh, there's a bad word for what he does. It involves rat, uh, you know, a bad thing to do to a rat. Uh, Roger Stone uh, goes back to Nixon in terms of Republican dirty tricks. Roger Stone announced John Podesta's time in the barrel before Podesta's emails were leaked. And the night before the Franken allegations came out, Roger Stone announced that Franken was going to spend time in the barrel. Breitbart.com uh, had a story prepared about these allegations. So I'm not saying that the right, the vast right-wing conspiracy caused Al Franken to do these dumb and awful things, but I am saying they were part of a strategy to broadcast them far and wide and to make it maximally embarrassing and difficult for Franken. And so I think we have to pay attention to that, too. There's a whole industry here that's working against Democrats and progressives on the right, and we can't ignore that. We can't be stupid about it. 
Joan Walsh, reader at thenation.com. Joan, thanks so much for talking with us today. Thanks, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.